Well, it is indeed our custom in the afternoon services to listen to God's Word and to make use of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a faithful explanation of that Word. And we're going through that section of the Catechism dealing with the Apostles' Creed. And we've come to uh, Lord's Day 17, uh, which deals then with uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then the benefit that this resurrection gives to us. In that connection, then, let's read together from Scripture, from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, first verse 1 to 28, and then verse 50 to 58. One Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished." If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjected under him. He is accepted, sorry. Verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him, who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. We go on then to the end of this chapter, and we begin our reading again in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, imperish when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So far, the reading from God's holy word. Well, let's sing together from Psalm 16, verse 1, 4, and 5.
Well, let's then read together from Laws 17 and page 531 in a book of praise. Just a reminder that uh, we're in that section uh, dealing with our deliverance and then the contents of our faith, what it is exactly that we are called to believe. And so this is indeed a confession which we have, and that is that we believe that on the third day he rose from the dead. That's what we're dealing with here in Lord's Day 17. Question answer 45. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death, so that he could make a share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we too are raised up to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Well, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in some uh, Christian circles, traditional Christian circles, uh, there is a greeting which has been used particularly in the, the more of the Eastern uh, Mediterranean world. And that is that one would come to another and one would say, Christ is risen, and he would, or she would have that be responded to with the, with the words, He is risen indeed. It's known as the Paschal greeting, uh, stemming back from the, the early Greek church. In some Christian ch- circles, that still happens that people would stay there. So instead of hello and goodbye, or hello and good morning, I should say, you will instead have these words, Christ is risen is risen indeed. And there's something good about such a greeting. There's something right about always remembering this truth. Indeed, we're called, and we should be, rejoicing in the truth of Christ's resurrection every day. Now, we do, of course, celebrate this, and we celebrate Christ's resurrection regularly. In fact, the very fact that we come to church on Sunday is because this is the Lord's day. And the meaning of the fact that this is the Lord's day is this is the day in which our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's a very direct link between us worshipping on the Sunday and Christ's resurrection. As such, we ought to always remember that. And we also should be reflecting on that when we gather together for worship. But Lord's 07 really brings us to the question, but do we remember? And do we really remember not only the facts of Christ's resurrection, but also of the impact that His resurrection has? And also then the manner in which we live our lives. We read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The church of Corinth failed to appreciate those benefits. Some even began to question whether or not the resurrection took place. And so when the Apostle Paul dealt with this with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he reminded them first of all of the gospel, of the good news that he preached them. The gospel that Christ had died for our sins, that he was buried, and after three days he rose again according to the scriptures. And he reminded them of this because they needed to hear this again and also to confess the truth of this and live by it. And like the Corinthians, we too need to hear this. And we too need to believe it. And not only then do we need to receive Christ's resurrection as a fact, but we also need to live out of the consequences of that resurrection. And so that's what I wish to preach to you about this afternoon. I wish to preach the glorious benefits of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and then was first of all, we'll indeed consider the facts surrounding Christ's resurrection, and second, the benefits arising from His resurrection. Now, we don't like to live in the midst of uncertainty, unanswered questions. We like to be sure of our facts, certainly the facts on which we base our life and our life's decisions. And it's a blessed gift, therefore, that when it comes to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be absolutely assured that this is a fact. In the Bible, we have four separate accounts of the earthly life and ministry, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you read through these accounts, these gospel accounts, you can read also of the miracles, the, the amazing things that our Lord Jesus Christ did, through which He demonstrated that truly He is the Christ, that He's the Son of God. Uh, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Uh, but there, there were many other things He did. He, he fed 5,000 people. He, he, he calmed the stormy seas. He, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He gave uh, life to the dead. And as our Lord Jesus Christ performed these miracles, there were people there to see them. There were people there to witness them. And there were people there to marvel at what they saw and what they, what they witnessed. And indeed, some even said, truly, this is the Son of God. But there was one, wit one miracle which we could consider to be the greatest miracle of all. But with respect to that miracle, there was no human being there to witness what had happened. And that, of course, is the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On Good Friday, his body had been taken from the cross. It had been taken to the tomb. His body had been laid on that bed of stone. And it was a body which had already been temporarily uh, embalmed with some spices, some ointments, and some cloths. It was a body which had already begun to decay. You remember when that, that spear was thrust into his side, how it was blood mixed with water which came out. And his body then lay in the grave from that Friday to the following Sunday. But nobody was there to see that body come back to life. The Gospel according to Matthew talks about soldiers guarding the tomb. But it also says that they shook with fear. They became like dead men when, when the angel appeared. And there is zero suggestion, there's no suggestion at all in the Gospels that the, that the soldiers actually stayed behind and looked and saw Jesus come back to life. Then there were women. They had planned to go there to treat his dead body with spices. But they didn't see the miracle take place either. By the time they arrived there, the stone had been rolled away. The grave was empty, except for an angel who was there to tell them what had happened. In his wisdom, the Lord determined that no one but that angel would be there to witness the time when our Lord Jesus Christ's heart once more began to beat. When Jesus took his first breath after having died again, died. When his 
bodily brain functions resumed. When he opened his eyes, when he moved his limbs, you see, that's what it means for him to come back to life. The restoration of all these things. Only the angel was there to see when the decomposition of his body reversed and the Lord was raised from the dead. When he was raised with a glorified body that no longer suffered the effects of sin. But that does not mean that we have any reason to question. We have no reason to doubt the fact that his resurrection really did occur. There is no other event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that is so clearly affirmed as his resurrection. Every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the book of Acts, strongly testify to the fact of Christ's resurrection. Acts chapter 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ wanted... His church to be left with absolutely no doubt that he indeed had risen from the dead, as he'd said. And this is something that we must hold on to and believe. That's also why the Apostle Paul wrote so strongly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about these things. In 1 Corinthians 15, he appealed to those times when the resurrected Lord appeared to, revealed himself to various people. Uh, verse 5. Verse 4 says he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. This is another name for Peter, the apostle. And then to the twelve. Now, the twelve is just a shorthand way of speaking about the disciples. Indeed, it wasn't the twelve immediately. We know that Thomas wasn't there. We also know, of course, that Judas Iscariot wasn't there. But these were his disciples. Then verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then he adds, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, a few of those 500, some of them had died, but there were still plenty of those who were still alive who could say that, yes, with their own eyes, they had seen the resurrected Lord. And in verse 7, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Now, the apostle Paul is not trying to list every last person here who had seen the risen Lord. The Bible also reveals that he saw others. He saw Mary Magdalene. He saw the other women, <clears throat> as well as the two people on the road to Emmaus. They kind of just get added into this, and all the apostles bit here. But the point that the Paul wishes to make out here is that we have no reason to question that fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There were plenty of people who saw the risen Lord with their own eyes. Later, even Peter came, as it were, face to face with the risen Lord. And so what that means for us is that this is something which we too, we cannot question. We should not say, well, did it really happen or did it not? Clearly, the scriptures make it very clear that not only did it happen, but we also must be convinced of the, the eyewitness accounts of those who had seen the risen Lord, that this indeed is true. We need to believe the facts of the gospel. Not only, did Christ rise from the, for, not only did Christ die for our sin, but he also rose for us as well. And so when you think about that, and when you reflect then on uh, 
just how fundamental the resurrection is to our Lord Jesus Christ, then we begin to realize that just how, what a terrible thing it really is, that there are so many people who call themselves Christian, but who would question whether or not his resurrection really took place. Also today, in, in what are called liberal churches, uh, people would speak about the resurrection really being a part of the faith of the church. And when they speak about something being the faith of the church, they effectively are meaning and they're saying, well, this is, this is something which the church holds on to, but whether or not it really literally happened, well, we don't know or we don't believe it did. And some, in some ways, it really, this is what, what the Corinthians were wrestling with as well. And this was some of the things which, even in that church in Corinth, in those early days, people were saying th similar things here. And this is why the Apostle Paul is saying, you cannot, you cannot question this. You cannot question the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you do not believe that He literally and truly rose from the dead, you have no faith left. Have a look at that. Verse um, 14 and 15 of chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresented God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul wants to leave us with absolutely no doubt that we need to believe that Christ is physically risen from the dead. And he's, he's also, another thing we want to make clear too with this is that he rose again from the dead because he was risen from the dead. This was done to him. Verse 4. I deliver to you, verse 3, I deliver to you of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and it says that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's an interesting word, the interesting way this is worded here, that He was raised. What this really means here, He was caused to be raised. In other words, the resurrection wasn't just some fluke incident, it wasn't something that just happened, but actually it was something which was done to our Lord Jesus Christ. That God the Father rose him from the dead. And we also need to understand here what, what Paul is saying here is that this resurrection is something which is permanent. You worship a risen Savior. A Savior who has been raised from the dead. That's something which is mentioned a number of times here in 1 Corinthians verse, verse 4, but then again in, in verse 12, verse 13, 14, 16, 17, verse 20. And so what, what we learn then from the Gospels, what we learn from the book of Acts, what we learn from 1 Corinthians, uh, and indeed the book of Revelation, and, and the entire Scriptures, the New Testament, what we read here is that the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, this is not some, some incidental thing or a matter of, which is of a small importance. But rather, there would be no Gospel to speak of. There's no Christianity if Christ is not physically and bodily risen from the dead. As Paul says, if the stone wasn't rolled away, you'd still be in your sins, and you would, of all people, be the most pitiable. But we believe that he has risen from the dead. We believe that the stone was rolled away. We believe that Christ has obtained the complete salvation for us. 
Well, the Bible doesn't only give us a description of what it looked like when Christ rose from the dead. For it was the Lord's sovereign pleasure that no man would see those miraculous events taking place. But what we cannot prove by means of rational scientific arguments is that Christ indeed has indeed that, sorry, and, and we cannot prove by means of rational scientific arguments that arose on the third day, but for the sake of very salvation, we must believe in a heart that God has raised him from the dead. It's only when we believe the fact of the resurrection that we're also in the place to experience the benefits of his resurrection. But I'd like to speak about that too, now going a bit more closely into Lord's Day 17. So Lord's Day 17 doesn't simply want us to think about then the fact that Jesus really did rise. But it goes one step further and says, but what's the consequence of that? What are the benefits of Christ's resurrection? And the Catechism lists three different benefits which we'll be going through. So the first of the benefits is this. By his resurrection, he's overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. So what this is saying here is that by overcoming death, by defeating death, therefore we can share in his righteousness. So there's a consequence. There's a consequence of what has happened here. Let me explain that. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God had said to Adam and Eve that if they sinned by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. This death is not just a temporary death. This is a spiritual death, a total separation from the God of life. That's what death really is. So when our Lord Jesus Christ came to save us, he came to take away that sin, and therefore he also came to take away that punishment for sin. Now when Christ was on the cross, he did say it's finished, and then he died. In other words... Through his death on the cross, he paid for our sins. But that wasn't all. Because not only did we need to have our sins paid for, we needed to be restored back to the God of life. Way back in Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we had a question which was asked in Lord's Day 5. And the question was, well, since... According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? And I'd like you to think about this, because the question here is, how can we escape this punishment and again be received into his favor? And so what this is teaching us is that in our salvation, we actually did two things. First of all, we need to have our sin removed. But the second thing is that we still need to be received back into God's favor. And it was when Christ was risen from the dead that God declared that through Christ we have been received back into favor and we can live once more in his presence. The resurrection of Christ declares to us that we have been justified, that we've been declared righteous before God. One of the proof texts in our catechism is uh, Romans chapter 4. And it's an important Bible verse concerning all this. Because it says here that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and sins, and he was raised for our justification. And being raised for our justification, it means that Jesus Christ was raised in order to assure us 
that in the sight of God, we are indeed without sin. In other words, as we confess in Laws 17, the reason why Christ rose from the dead was to prove that all those who acknowledge Jesus as the Lord and Savior, they've entered into a state of righteousness with God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be sure that your sin is forgiven and that God has raised you to a new life. So let me explain that just a little bit more clearly. Because this is what we, what we need to understand here. Through his crucifixion, Christ changed our standing before God from guilty to not guilty. But then through his resurrection, Christ changed that status before God from being not guilty to righteous. And I'd like you to think about that progress here. Guilty to not guilty to righteous. And this is what the Catechism explains also then that, that according to by his resurrection, Christ makes us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. And so rather than sagging under our own guilt, Christ's righteousness lifts us up, it straightens us up, and keeps us from going back down again. So this is a beautiful thing for us to think about. Not, God does not just simply leave us in no man's land. It's not like we just have this, have this zero balance to our account. But we are declared righteous in and through Christ. So that's the first thing. Well, the second thing is this. By His power, we too are raised up to a new life. So that means that, indeed, we do have a new life. Our hope of a new life is not just something for the future. It's something that we may enjoy already now. And the New Testament reminds us of this again and again, which says that we are in Christ. And being in Christ, we share in His benefits. This new life in Christ begins already now. This is what we call sanctification. Being made holy in Christ. And it's for this reason that our Christian faith, it's a, it's a celebration of where we go through life savoring the, the victory of our Lord. We experience even now that Christ puts to death our earthly old nature. He's renewing us after His image through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we do experience that change which is happening in us where we put to sin and our old sinful nature more and more, and where we grow to, to be more like Christ more and more as well. Now, there are times, there are times in our lives when this feels more like a dream than something which is real. There are times when we're going to be bowed down by a sin, when we feel that we're in defeat, that we, we, we wonder, well, am I really growing in Christ after all? But then we turn back to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also confess that, that being raised to a new life is not something that you do, but it's something that Christ has done for you. You see, just as it was God who raised Christ from the dead, so it is, it is God who raises you from that, that death and to raise you to a new life. When He rose from the dead, Christ obtained for us a new life, and we can begin to live that new life right now. And when we understand this, then we realize that we have a Savior whom we may approach and who is there to help us as we fight against sin 
and as we struggle to live a life of greater holiness. Because Christ rose from the dead, we can move forward in Him, confident that we will conquer, that sin will no longer reign in our mortal bodies. We know that we are alive with Christ and that we will overcome. We will not be beaten by those stubborn sins, those sins that we find so hard to put away. But in Christ, we'll continue to fight against sin. And in this way, that in Him we'll grow in godliness, and in Him we'll have the victory. And so that also means for each of us then, that if we are in that, that patch or in that area where we feel that, that our, our sin is too great, that it is too hard to, to, to fight with and to conquer, where we become blasé about our sin also, the question we need to focus on to consider is, do we truly believe in our risen Christ? And do we understand what it means to be risen in Him and through Him? And are we seeking to live that new life in Christ? And then there's that third thing here. Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 23. It says, verse 22, For as an Adam all dies, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And that's really what it means here, that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. He's the firstfruits. He's the first one. We too will be raised, um, and we will be raised from the dead as well. And so because the stone is rolled away, and because Christ is raised from the dead, we too can live in that hope of the resurrection for ourselves and for all those who die in the Lord. We belong with body and soul and life and death to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He will take our lowly bodies and make them to be like His glory, glorified body. It says in Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform our lowly body. That is our, our fleshly carnal body, a body which is broken by sin, a body which is, is subject to weakness, a body which is subject to suffering, to sickness, to decay. And our bodies are going to change. We don't know how God is going to resurrect our bodies, we don't know how He's going to put us all back together again. But we do know that it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, on the last day. That's what it also says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And then being changed, we will be like Christ. Like His glorified body. Our bodies will be perfected. Our minds will be totally renewed. They will be conformed to God's will. We will no longer be captivated by thought, by word, by deed, and anything sinful. We'll no longer be crying out in the darkness of despair. We'll no longer question even the benefits of Christ's resurrection and wonder whether this is for us. Because everything will have happened exactly as God had promised. And the fruits of Christ's resurrection will be there for us in the fullness. 
Not only will we be justified, but we'll also be sanctified, completely made holy, and we'll also be glorified. And living in the benefits of Christ's resurrection already now, we can look forward then to the complete fullness in the future. And so let us live with joy today, celebrating not just the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, but celebrating the fact that through His resurrection, we too may share in the benefits of that resurrection. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.